Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week, I bring you stories that will educate you, inspire you, and my one big word of all is to give hope. I want to thank my sponsor studio, The Motivated Mind Group, your global creative agency located right here in downtown Chandler. Today's episode is sponsored by HK Photo Smiles. That would be Holly. Over 20 years of experience, she delivers you headshots and branding photos that work for you when you leave the room. They also preserve your legacy with family photos. Capturing memories for a lifetime is her quote. And it's the holidays, so go out there and schedule her and get your pictures taken. Today, my guest is Nada Sumik. She's a former refugee who was forced to flee from her home country of Bosnia after surviving Surviving through a civil war, Nidra, excuse me, Nada and her family were granted asylum as refugees into the United States. I have to hold for a second because I can't imagine fleeing, so I'm sorry I got emotional for just a second. Nada was able to overcome a great deal of adversity, including adapting to a new culture and building a new life here in the United States. And I get emotional because I can't imagine not having a place to call home. So please help me welcome my guest today, Nada Sumik. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Christine. Yes. I, I've been told I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I do, and that's who I am. And that's why I do what I do. Um, being a refugee in asylum, those are things I couldn't imagine going through. And I know that we, you talked about a civil war, and a civil war is different when I think of history for me in the States you know, many years ago. Yours was just here in the 1990s. So um, tell me a little bit about how this came about, because you came to the States as a little girl, is that right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, so I um, left my country in the early 90s. I, at the time, was five years old when the Civil War broke out in my country. And um, it was during the time where um, my country, former Yugoslavia, was going through a very difficult time his from a historical standpoint. And, um, you know, a civil war broke out and we were forced to flee the country to, through a very, very difficult journey um, where we were left with no other choice but to leave our home, um, leave our belongings, everything we knew and we called home, um, not because we wanted to, but because we had no other choice in the matter. Um, and at that time, my family and I were, were separated and it was a very long journey to um, not only come back together, but also be able to get to safety and refuge. Again, no one should ever feel like they don't have a place to call home or feel safe. And then when you have a family unit, that is your safety. Which brings me to another question, because you and I have actually talked prior to this. Your family was divided in this time frame, too. Yes, yeah, so during the war, when um, it, was, it was summer of 1992, and um, we started seeing a presence of heavy military. We started seeing um, a, a, a lot of... Um, uncertainty of not being able to walk through the street safely. There was uh, a scarcity of food, um, things, simple basic needs like electricity and water. Um, and uh, one day 
um, these men in military suits came and uh, who we, we opened the door at our home. Um, my, my father recognized them and uh, they actually happened to be his former co-workers who he had worked for for many years and now were part of the military and uh, he was taken and uh, he was supposed to come back that same day but he didn't come back and for a very long time we didn't know his whereabouts or where he would be. The uncertainty at such a young age and then here's another word for us, trust. We got safety, we've got trust, and we have a feeling and a sense of belonging. All right here, everything got disrupted. N no understanding of anything and not knowing where your father was. And then you mentioned these were individuals that you knew. So when we're here and we're with our coworkers, we build relationships and friendships sometimes. Now you've got someone that's taking your family and breaking it apart because a government says you're going to do this for this reason. What exactly is the Civil War? What was it? So the Civil War was um, basically the fall of uh, former Yugoslavia, which was a um, multiple countries or states that were known as Yugoslavia. And then um, at the time, the aggressors who were um, from the ethnic group Serbs uh, decided they wanted to start taking over each state. Um, and so when when each state and its government started pulling back and retracting and wanting their own independence, that's when the violence broke out. And basically what started happening in my country was ethnic cleansing of Muslim people, which is what my family is. We come from Muslim background. Uh -huh. And to many people that may be surprising because they have a perception of who Muslim people are. They are from the Middle East. They're darker color skin, but um, it just comes to show that we all come from different facets of life and, and, and look differently, you we know. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. Here in the United States, we're, I call it the melting pot. I know I'm not the only one that has called it that. We come from all different places, and here in the States, we do have our own division. There's claim or thought that we were going to have a civil war with the 2020 pandemic and the division that was going on. And when I think again of civil war, I think of the history books that I learned it when I was in high school a long time ago. So when you talk about civil war here, it terrifies me to know that as we're living here and doing our own thing in the States, in the 1990s, you're having something that's going on there that's dividing and killing and hurting people. And we're just doing our own thing over here. So when your father was taken, how long was he gone? He was gone for a year. And you had no idea where he was, whether he was alive or anything? No, we had no idea of his whereabouts. So can I ask, how did you guys survive? I'm assuming it's just you and your mother. Yes, so at the time I was an only child and my mother and I, um, you know, looking back now that I'm a mother, I, I can really appreciate the heroism oh. she had and the courage mm -hmm. to really get me and her out of this terrible, scary situation. And so we went through a very long, treacherous journey to um, get out of the country and to the bordering country um, because it just came to a point where it was no longer safe to stay there, you know, where it was a life or death situation. And if we did not get out, um, we would have been killed. When you're talking about the bordering country, 
I know we have to have passports for us to travel to other countries out of the United States and vice versa. Was that something that was implemented then too? Or was there kind of like we have our thing here with Mexico border where people will go across the border however they can to get away from the conditions that they're in? Yeah, at the time, I, I don't know what the politics were okay. with being able to um, to cross, you know, a, a bordering country. We, I know, had documentation at the time, and people traveled freely all the time mm -hmm. into uh, bordering countries just because we were all neighbors, we were all friends. Mm -hmm. We there was no ethnic or uh, border divisiveness, mm -hmm. um, particularly in that area. We mm -hmm. were all. You know, we would vacation in Croatia, the bordering country, and so it wasn't it wasn't uh, a matter really of how it's looked at today. So when you talked about in the very beginning that you came, when you left, you left with nothing. You know, some people are like, oh, I left with a suitcase or a duffel bag. You you didn't get to literally have the opportunity to take anything with you. I'm assuming. So how did you go from one border uh, country to another and figure out how to? mom helped to figure out how to get where she was needing for you guys to be safe. Is there, was there other people that you knew there? Was it uh, uh, camps or organizations that you were a part of? Yeah, so when we, um, the, the, the area where we're from, it's a small village where oh, okay. everybody knows each other. Okay. And so when the war first broke out, we had to go into hiding. We had to literally live in our basement for weeks on end because there was grenades flying over our home. And so it, it got to a point where um, the aggressors were taking out our neighbors and killing them. And you know, like, it, it's just where you don't have food, you don't have basic needs, so you know that the, the, um, it's time to leave. Mm -hmm. So we started that dangerous journey and the first step was to get to the largest city n near our village, uh, which is about um, 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes from us. And so we got to that city and there was a, a, a big bus station that was, um, buses that were coming in and out taking people. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen some of these images in as recently in Ukraine where people were you know, trying to leave. And so th this is what happens when people have to flee. They, they're trying to get into any type of transportation that's still uh, safely accessible. And so at that point, um, we met at my aunt's house um, in the city with the rest of our family and the plan was to get on these buses to leave um, and unfortunately, even through that experience, we saw things that as children you should never see, you know, uh, people being murdered, people being killed, and that um, that's just very explicit um, and violent, and that, that leaves an imprint on you as a child, right? And so the day when we were supposed to leave on the buses, um, I remember it was a crowd of thousands and thousands of people sitting, standing, desperate to leave. Um, and I somehow in that moment got separated from my mother. Oh no. And I just remember the feeling of being terrified and scared and not knowing what's gonna happen next. And even though that was only a split of a moment, maybe a few minutes, it felt like a lifetime. Right. And um, it, that, that moment left a significant imprint of who, from that moment on, I 
had to be for, for a very long time in my life, you know, because it was a sense of abandonment, not abandonment by my mother of any kind of ill will or anything like that, but because of the circumstances and it just wires you in a way, right? It leaves a long lasting impact. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you were reunited, obviously. Now you got here to the States. How did that come about? Yeah, so after, you know, we got on the buses, it was a very, very long and dangerous journey to get to the bordering country of Croatia. We had to sleep on places that, you know, we were not safe. Um, it was very cold. It was winter time now at this point, and our winters are very, very heavy snow winters. We, I remember we slept on uh, cots that dead people were carried on, you know, like we, we did not have any choice and eventually once we got to Croatia we were able to find a shelter and uh, that's when we started hearing about um, just rumors about people who were being held in camps, men that were being held in camps and that that could be potentially somewhere where my father was at. You never lost hope or thought that he was deceased. You always thought he was alive and you'd be reunited. Oh, I love that. Yes, right yes, we never lost hope. And so we started looking for him. My mother started asking around, you know, talking to anybody who she could talk to. And that's when we um, got word from the International Red Cross that um, we were able to finally have communication through a letter with him that he established communication that he was alive um, and that was the most important thing at the time is Absolutely. that we knew that he was alive. I bet he was thrilled to know that you guys didn't give up on him and that someone was able to reunite, reunite you. Um, before I say how you got here, how was he released? If he was being held, what was the process in that? So it was really through a, um, first of all, a miracle, a grace of God that he was even alive because thousands and thousands of people were killed. Um, and my father, he, he wasn't taken because he had committed some kind of crime or he was taken simply because he carried a Muslim name. Right. And that was the... Um, ethnic genocide that was happening that the world was blind to yeah. at the time, yeah. as you were mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of men that were being held. And it was really through a British journalist who uncovered this and publicized the story globally that this got out to the media. And then they had no choice because of the pressure of other countries and the United Nations. They had to shut down these detention camps. Um, but by then, thousands of people had already lost their lives, innocent oh. people. Many of were our neighbors, cousins, you know, who um, suffered. And um, with, like, as I mentioned, with the grace of God, my dad was able to be freed. And, and I just remember those moments, you know, of, of, of seeing him and, and coming back together. And, and it makes my heart happy. Yeah. Um, so he was freed. Then what happened as far as, I mean, because you're here in the States now. Yeah, so um, once we were reunited, we had asked to, um, to 
be resettled to another country because it still was not an option to go back to our country. We could not go back. And so we um, wanted to, Croatia was also not stable and safe, so we could not stay there. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're kind of living as almost as a migrant where you don't have any rights, you're, you know, you, you can't seek a job, you can't start a life, I couldn't go to school. Um, and so we decided to apply for asylum. Um, we did not have the choice where we wanted to go. And oftentimes that is a perception that people think of, of people who are displaced, that they choose where they want to go. Oftentimes that's not the choice. And people who are displaced who are refugees many times travel through multiple countries uh, before they get to, a, to resettle to a third country. It kind of sounds like a foster care system where you go from place to place to place until it's established that you can stay here. Um, and I know that's not the correct thing, but that's what's in my mind. I'm already sitting here thinking displaced, trauma, trust issues, abandonment. You can't go where you used to call home. There's so many negatives in here but yet there's one big word out of it all, and that was there was hope, and that hope brought you here, which makes me happy to know that there's hope no matter where we've come from. And I've said this before to you, that it's easy for us to be opinionated on something when we don't understand or have the information. And when we talk about immigrants, or we talk about refugees, and we talk about asylum, these are words that someone such as yourself know and live every day or people who work with helping people find homes to call home or a job to be able to pay for the life that they want to have. You come to the States and that means you have to deal with a language, a culture, an education. I mean now we've got a whole new set of things you have to figure out. How did, and I know you were just a kid which they say kids are resilient, um, for the most part we are and if you're an adult then you learn how to survive. So there's a different term. Um, tell me how you were feeling when you found the place that they said this is where you're now going to stay as a child. Now you've got a whole new world that you have to figure out and, and all these negatives I talked about that are not going to make you feel like you can't feel like you're at home and, and have friendships and have a family. Yeah, so I, I think that process was very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, as a child, I can only imagine what my parents felt like. Um, Prior to arriving to the United States, we were actually sent to Spain. Okay. And this is where we lived in a refugee camp for some time um, before being resettled to the United States. And so when we arrived to the United States, this is now, um, obviously we knew our native language, but this is now a third language we're learning in a very short time frame, which for me as a child is not so significant, but for someone like my parents, you know, who are now in their 30s and now they're having to acclimate to a new society, a new culture, it's very overwhelming. It's very scary having to start from nothing, not having um, anything on your back, and you are just now expected mm -hmm. um, to take on this new life. And um, the way that the system, is set up here, the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program, which was established in 1980. Um, it's really set up where you have the refugee resettlement agencies, but they only provide temporary assistance, three to six months of immediate assistance to 
get you to pay, you know, get you a, a housing, get you a job, but you must take on the first job that you are offered, whether that's a, a, a dishwash cleaner, whether that's a janitor, that's, and it doesn't matter what you are at or wore as a profession in your home country, you must take that job on and you must pay back, for example, like your flight tickets. You have six months to start paying that back and then interest accrues. So people have this tendency to think that people come here for free or um, yeah. use the system, but that's not the case. That, that is very far from the, the truth. You just educated me right now because I didn't know that. And you do hear people say that again, if you don't bring that information, someone's gonna make their assumption. Um, so I'm glad you said that. Um, and that can be a struggle too, that you have to all of a sudden not know what the dollar value is, coming here just to escape to have a new life. Then you put all these you know, different scenarios and then now you're told, you gotta pay everything back that we helped you. You know, like how do I get back on my feet? How do I even get on my feet? Forget getting back on my feet. Because now everything underneath you is in a totally different territory. Wow. I am just blown away. I, I am, I'm glad I have you here to <laughs> educate me and anyone else that's going to see this for sure. So you had to learn the language as well. That's right. And uh, for me, I, I oftentimes as a child, I didn't feel like I fit in with my classmates because nobody could relate. I could not relate to anybody through my experience, through my journey, what I had gone through. I couldn't even share it with my classmates because it was so far-fetched from them, you know, um, what I saw, what I witnessed, that they just could not um, relate to that. Right. Wow. <laughs> so many different things you had to do. And you've done well because now you actually are part of the system here as a refugee and helping other people through the system. I love that. Yeah. Um, before I ask my final question, I, it's all processing in my mind right now. I'm like a little kid always asking questions and like trying to process and going, wow, factor. Um, before I ask my final question, with so much that you have given me, is there anything I didn't ask or that you want to share that we should know? Because you just gave a lot of information. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to share that um, I'm actually publishing my first co-author book. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you, called Love Divine. That's gonna be out in January of next year. Um, and I'm just really excited to share a little bit of insight into what my journey was like and how I've been able to overcome it. And what's even more interesting is, remind me again how old you were when you came, when this all started. I was five years old at the time. So there's a lot to um, go back in at that age where you are now and either bring back up some of the trauma you probably didn't want to do, but in order for, it to, for you to write a book for people to understand your journey, you had to go back there. And so I commend you for that because that's not an easy task to do. Um, those are wounds that you've healed or you've let them be where they're at in the past. So. I, I look forward to hearing about the book and where it's going to be found and um, get an autograph from you for that as well. Um, my final question, well actually tell me a little bit about the work that you're in because I know you're very passionate um, in the field of work that you are because it's related to where you just came from. Yeah, so um, I, I tend to think that refugees are re resilient people. After everything that they overcome, through their journeys, um, they're very resilient people. And so 
I get the um, absolute pleasure of working with former refugees who many of them now are in leadership positions, um, some actually uh, political leaders, other, um, others and just doing amazing work. I get to work with them and I um, help oversee a national campaign called We're All America where we help organize and educate people about refugee issues and also um, work towards advocacy and policy that ensures that we are being welcoming and inclusive of all of our communities and not, not just uh, ones over others. Wow, that's fascinating. I just thought of one question, and I don't know if this is a question I should ask, but you can always say no. I tell people, just because you're asked a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. But to give a better understanding and idea of what a camp is, you said that you had stayed in a camp. Is Give, give, give me an idea what that is. Because when you think of camp for kids, you're like, oh, we're going to have fun, but that's not what this is about. Like the space, you share the space, how does, what is it all? Yeah, so think of a space, a, maybe a 10 by 12 space that's shared with two families oh. um, where you endure warm and hot uh, climate and weather. Uh, you share a bathroom and showers with hundreds and hundreds of other people and you don't know when you're going to get out of there. You don't have access to work. You don't have access for your children to go to school. And there are people living in today's world for years and years. I've met families who have resettled here who, whose children have never touched a doorknob to their home because they were born and grew up in a refugee camp. And just the presence of coming to a home that has windows and a door and walls was overwhelming for them because they had never experienced that before. Again, it goes back on security, safety, trust, and a sense of belonging, and most importantly, a place to call home. Wow, thank you. That was not my final question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this one is unrelated, but kind of related. I always say if there was one question I could ask a person to come up with the conclusion of the type of person they are, it was this question. And it would be the only question I w or answer I would have to settle with. And the question is this. What message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey? The message I'd like to leave is that we, it's so important to have empathy for others and understanding and being connected to the world because oftentimes we are, um, we are in our own space, we're our own, own world, and there's so much happening everywhere across the globe in the present time where people are suffering. And so that, that's my message is for, for all of us to have empathy and connect with others who we may not have connected with bef and before. And Nada, that's why I do what I do. I could easily stay in my lane. We talked about this jokingly earlier stay in your lane, Christine. I'm like, but I bring everybody in my lane because I want to know who they are. So I know how to, um, I'm not a judgmental person, but how can I deal with them? Because I have my own story too, that if someone understood that I'm not this way because I want to be, I made this way because of something has happened and not everybody can deal with getting over a trauma or still continue to have issues about the trauma. So if I can be more passionate, it will make me less frustrated. <laughs> yes. And I don't want to be frustrated. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. 
Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And I thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I want to thank my studio sponsor again, the Motivated Fine Group, your global creative agency located here in downtown Chandler. And today's episode sponsor is HK Photo Smiles, and that would be Holly, where you can get all your photo needs, and when you leave, she captures the memories for a lifetime, whether it's you individually or as a family. If you have a story you want to share, know someone who has a story, or you have an organization in your community that's making a difference, I would love to spotlight them. Please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well, and you take care. <laughs>